In today's episode, we're going to be talking about shoots being cancelled and renting kit for shoots. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good, mate. Good. I've just had my protein bar. I'm feeling oh. raring to go. Nice, nice. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, my protein shake's on the floor. I haven't had any of it because you're rushing me to, for- to well, forcing me to you do this like episode. You look like you need some protein. Oh, God. Your legs look a little skinny from here. Right. Even in these baggy jeans. <laughs> yeah, even in the baggy jeans. <laughs> here we are, episode 25. I know. A yeah. quarter of a century. Do you know what a century is? It's 100. Yeah, but I mean, like, we're... We're not based in years on the podcast, are we? No, but what I'm saying is 25 <laughs> is good effort. It's good effort. Yeah. Imagine when we hit 50. We'll probably hit 50 Imagine by... Imagine when we hit 1,000. We'll hit 50 by summer. Aim for, the, aim for the stars. Which would be cool. Yeah. But now, man, I think today's episode, first thing we're kicking off is with shoots getting cancelled. This happens a lot in our industry, and I just want to make this perfectly clear. The amount of times that... And I always say, take a shoot with a pinch of salt. Until it happens... It hasn't happened. Well, until you get 50% up front. Until you get 50% up front. And my mate, a mate of mine, Tellman, who's a model in London, he'll always, he'll, he's got this hard, fast rule where he won't talk about a shoot until the shoot has happened because it's all well and good getting an email and getting selected for it or going for a casting or getting put forward to do this shoot or the production. But it can always fall through. Even the day before, like it can always fall through. It's happened to me before. And so don't, Take it with a pinch of salt. Don't go telling everyone, oh, I've got this shoot, I've got this shoot, because you're just giving yourself bad karma. <laughs> until it happens, until the shoot's done and dusted, that's when you can say something. And they fall through and it's very normal. So if you're you know, listening to this and you had a, you've had shoots fall through or it's happened last minute, I think it's a very normal thing in the industry. I know Cameron will probably touch on things that you can input. And we've talked about getting a 50 cent fee up front and a cancellation fee is another one. And these are things that we can implement. Um, but you had a shoot over Christmas, didn't you? Do you want to tell us about that? Which is yeah. why we wanted to talk about this, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a bad thing. I mean, as you said, it already yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. But I think on this occasion, we had a shoot come in over Christmas just before Christmas Eve. And then we kind of got it signed off. And then on the 26th, they came back to us. When were you meant to do the shoot? Was oh, this? oh, sorry. So we were meant to do the shoot on the 28th and 29th. Yeah. And then we were supposed to deliver on the 3rd, but they wanted a first version by the 1st. Right. So you're talking like shooting it, and then like a couple of days later, they want a first version, and it's over Christmas. Obviously, no one's in London at that point, and yeah. all these things. Now, we usually we would have like a thing in place where, obviously, you come to us, you got to pay 50% up front. Ideally, you need to come to us with a 13, a 14-day window. So obviously... We have 14 days to like prep the shoot, plan the shoot, get it going. And at a minimum, like seven days, most likely. Uh, obviously, this one over Christmas, fucking no time at all to do it. <laughs> but we got it on the 23rd. We signed it off on like the 24th. And then they came back on the 26th saying that they wanted to change some things. And then we signed it off again on the 26th, sent 50% invoice, sent contracts, all this stuff. And on the 27th, they came back again. And wanted, to, and we're pushing back on some things again. And at that point, it was like the shoot's tomorrow. Yeah, and you haven't even signed off. And it was one of those hard reminders of do not go under like a threshold of whatever you've set because there's a reason you have these thresholds in the first place. Of you know you can't 
And really, also, yeah, Im- imagine trying to execute that shoot over that time period when no one's really working, people are away with families, people are away on holiday. Like it's a funny time of year to to get it turned around by the first of Jan, yeah, and yeah. then the final delivery on the third of Jan. That's just like just such an ask. And then that means when it's such an ask, you need to pay more. You have to pay a premium to get it done faster. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a premium already for having it under within the two week time frame. Yeah. I mean, for us, we charge a rush fee yeah. if you want it done within the space of two weeks. Yeah. And that doesn't sometimes need to be listed out as a rush fee. It can just be that our price is a little bit higher. Yeah. But for this particular occasion, because it's over Christmas, it's like, of course. It's going to cost more. Yeah. And, of, and I think it would have been over New Year's as well, which is pretty important. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's why I wanted to talk about this topic as well today, because these things happen where you put time and a little bit of like, you know, it takes time to get the contract in place and the details, a lot of conversations, organizing crew and shoot date, and then it just gets cancelled and you think, damn. Now, luckily, we didn't prep the crew or anything like that yet. Yeah. And But however, my business partner, Jamie, did travel back from his hometown to London, which was like a 35 quid train ticket, which obviously is fine, but he could have just stayed with his family. Yeah. And I mean, you said to me, oh, we might need you on the 28th. Yeah. 29th. And then in my head, I was like, already thinking logistically, like, oh, right. Well, like, I need to get back to London. Can I do the shoot? I'm going to be looking after the dogs. Yeah. Like, who's going to put them in the kennel? Can I leave Yaz at my parents' place, like, and let her look after the dogs? Like, all of these things then started going through my head. Yeah. And it's like, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. And I knew that the shoot probably wasn't going to happen and I hadn't heard and it was very last minute. And I've been in the industry long enough to have a good inkling if a shoot's going to happen or not. But, you still start preparing things in your mind and then that in itself is like has a knock-on effect for the rest of the crew. So when someone cancels, it's just like, ah, oh, especially that time of year, it's a right faff, but it's very normal. Yeah, I think we did things right, but I think at the same time, there was a few things that we wouldn't want to let slide again in the future. So as an example, we have usually a minimum thing of seven days, Yeah, but we don't have like a cutoff point if it does go below seven days, because obviously not everything's going to be perfect. Sometimes you are going to get some really cool shoots that just aren't in a reasonable time frame. So I think going forward, we'll do that. And also you think that you can do shoots over Christmas and it's fine. And it's like, yeah, but it literally takes up your entire Christmas planning it. Well, this is what I mean. It, I think it was you like, would have struggled getting a crew again. together. I think you would yeah. have struggled getting a crew well, together. Well, luckily we had some really good people that, you know, like our network, they're really good and yeah, yeah. it was helpful. But it's not fair to other people as well to have to yeah. ask them to work over Christmas. That's what, that's, well, but know. that's why you need to then yeah. pay them more. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, it, it was just interesting because it just made me think that, damn, you really put a lot of effort into some things and then they just don't end up coming off, but you've sacrificed things already at that point. Yeah. And Do you think that's just part and parcel of our industry? Because I know in the photography world, a lot of people will spend a lot of time making pitch decks and pitching to brands and stuff, and that takes time, but like a lot of the time they never land hmm. and then you never make any money out of them. Well, this is where the argument comes in that you don't do pitches. And because really you should be paid to do a pitch deck. Yeah. Um, I know Microsoft chat, uh, Microsoft pays, or they did do, they paid like five different vendors 15 yeah. grand to put together a pitch deck right. because they understood that real experts don't do work for free and putting yeah. a pitch deck together takes maybe a day or a few days depending on what's needed. Okay, well, so, so I'll argue with your point then, but what if I, as a photographer, have a couple of weeks free, there's no shoots, and I can then take the time to pitch a couple of shoot ideas to some brands. Oh, well, I think it's different if you're willing to 
you know, put ideas together yeah. and, you know, reach out to the brands and do it that way. But if someone's actually asking for like an RFP, which is like a request for proposal, okay, then it's cost. like, well, you need to pay us for that if you're yeah. requesting a proposal from us. Okay. By the way, when I say these things, I, I think there's a lot of confusion online, especially on TikTok, where people go, oh, well, easy for you to say, oh, oh no, that's not realistic or you don't want really to talk about. When I'm talking about these things, I'm assuming that you're in a position where you can do this. Like some people have said, oh, well, what happens if you need money? Obviously don't do it if you need money. Yeah, I think yeah. there's... I'm talking in a sense of like if you're in the perfect position. And just what is an RFP for people listening? An RFP is a request for proposal. So essentially if someone's got a project, say like they've got a new trainer that they're releasing, like a new sneaker, and they want you to pitch them like some ideas, put together like a deck of who you are, who your crew could be, some of the ideas that you want, and I guess like a time frame of what you estimate that would be and a time frame of what you, th- sorry, an estimate of what you think it would cost. Right. But the problem is, is as a creative all of your value is in your thinking. And so if you're just giving people ideas like, oh, here's a, like a bunch well, of ideas, they could they take your pitch them, deck yeah. and then they could go and get someone else to shoot your idea. And that definitely so, happens, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely happened in the past yeah. and it wouldn't now, be the first time. But for the most part, if, you, if you're if you uh, matured in the industry and you already shoot stuff like that on a regular basis, then you, you should really be like, I don't pitch. Like if you're coming to me, then you just need to, you need to expect that I'm good at it anyway. Right, yeah. and the the reason why there's a book called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto mm. and he talks about how if if you've got four vendors you've got to assume that one of them has the inside track so it means that one of them has probably worked with the client before and the real expert isn't even in the list the real expert will just get let in and won't even have to pitch they'll just hire him and he'll get let in through the side door right okay you know the standards for yourself basically. okay right interesting but it's hard to implement it is but you know that's why it's good to position yourself best it is yeah, yeah. I, think it's, it's, I think it's just part and parcel of the industry like I've pitched for shoots before and had to put my ideas for and how forward. long does that take you uh, yeah and how much stress was it yeah especially <laughs> when it's a shoot you really want to do yeah and then it falls through and it doesn't happen and we're actually getting a friend of mine on the podcast soon Benji Reeves who is a producer at Hypebeast and on that episode tune in because we're going to listen to a real life case study where I was meant to do a shoot and I didn't get the shoot so and he was the producer on that shoot so we're going to question him about it and hopefully get some good feedback and some good info for you guys because I think that'll be really interesting. Back to my point, take it with a pinch of salt. Take it with a pinch of salt because that same shoot I was like telling people, I was like, oh, this is going to be the shoot and this is what it is <laughs> and then it didn't happen for me and I almost was probably bad karma. So at the end of the day, like until it happens and until you're on set doing it, then, but like there are sometimes some big shoots that, happen within that seven day window and you have to turn them around quick i found out i was doing the puma campaign two days before the puma campaign i remember that yeah yeah so like but probably like one of my best shoots of the year so like sometimes it's like give and take and depending on what you yeah yeah and also i think a lot a lot of the crew and the client and like whoever's hiring you gets excited as well and so it's very easy it's not in a malicious way it's like Things just come together, and you, you know, you, you everyone gets excited, and then yeah. it's unfortunate for everybody, really, when things get cancelled. Yeah, but you know, you you don't want to. And that's why the fifty percent upfront fee and the cancellation fee can come in handy, and setting boundaries, healthy boundaries with clients, like you said, like you usually have a seven day cut off where you need to do the work you need to do before you execute the shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Important tips. Okay, moving on to the next topic, and. People listening, they might want to know, so on these shoots, a lot of the time we have to rent kit, 
We rank it from rental houses, whether we bring our own kit in. Now, we actually got a question off someone, you did actually, off someone off Instagram who had a question about renting kit and all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that and before you read that question out, how does renting kit work usually? Like, I'll go to a rental house and if I'm working with an assistant, I'll talk to the assistant based on the references of what the client wants, what lighting do we need, what kit do we need, and we'll put a kit list together and the producer or the production company or me will send that list over to the rental house and then they'll deliver that kit on the day. Pretty similar, I believe, in the video world. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I imagine it's almost exactly the same. Like yeah. you would have a client that would probably give some references um, to how they want something to look and then depending on the flexibility, you'd have the DOP who would decide on the look really yeah. and oh sorry the director and the DOP would work together to decide on the look and then the DOP would execute that by knowing what equipment that we need like oh do we need an overhead light do we need yeah. like yeah. some of these and then yeah you choose the kit you send it to the rental house and which is why it's so important outside. by the way to ask for references from your clients because I feel like especially if there's a lot of people that are new at a brand and they want to do a shoot it's like they probably won't give you any reference. Like it's like we want it to look like this. This is what we want the lighting to look like. Be really clear with your client and getting that information out of them because the more guidance they can give you, it then makes your job a lot easier to replicate that lighting reference or speaking to your assistant to replicate that that lighting instead of just going in blind and doing something that you think looks cool, but it might not be on the same page as your client unless they've given you cr- like free creative range. Then amazing. So definitely ask for that. I still think if they give you free creative range, you should still try and get out of them. Like, again, some people will go, eh, I don't know what budget I've got. And it's like you do. Like, even if you say you don't have a budget. There's like, a number you, in your head that you yeah, want to pay. Yeah, yeah, there's an ideal middle ground that you'd probably like to get to. And it's the same thing with the look of a video or like the look of photos. Like, someone can trust you, but then when you're actually on set on the day, they'll be like, oh, I actually don't like it like this. And it's like, well, we've fucking rented the. Yeah, like, yeah. We need different gear then if you wanted it like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah that, a, that's usually how it would work. And I would also advise to try and get a kit delivered to set as well. It's so much easier oh, so when you turn up and, and the kit's already there. Gone are the days of like hiring something from Fat Llama and trying to run around the seas, oh collect mate. it all before your shoe yeah. is. You're just causing more <laughs> hassle. Like you're better off getting a trying to get a better budget to then get it from a rental house to then get it delivered on set. Yeah, I would also say, at least in my experience, it's better to not, Maybe own some just basic three-point lighting setup. So if you want to shoot something like an interview or a YouTube video for yourself, stuff mm. like that, that's cool to own. But any other gear, do not buy lighting gear because there's so much flexibility in what you can rent and it's usually not too expensive that you want to be able to have the flexibility to change your lighting setup based on what the actual project needs. Yeah. Whereas if you're just carrying lighting gear it's so heavy and you've got to take c-stands and it's like where the hell do i store this and yeah so buy other stuff like buy cameras buy lenses buy gimbals buy i don't know like your own little flash guns and shit like that but any big lighting stuff just rent it because you'll find that oh it'll be good to use a sky panel on this shoot but on the next one you want to use like a like a kino or something like it's i would argue as a photographer like if you bought your own pro photo um lighting setup then it's really easy to bring your own kit on the day and then charge the client yeah. uh, equipment fee. I, I know a few for, photographers that do yeah, that. Yeah, but for bigger lighting setups in your video production world, definitely, like, what's the point of buying your own sky panel? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you just wouldn't do that. Well, I think it's like five grand, and it's good to have, and you can obviously charge it out to a client when you yeah. do use it. 
But the problem is it's just not worth it. It's much easier just Logistics, to pay. Logistics, it's just... Yeah. Tough, yeah, and also typically it's good because then you can leave all the lighting on set and then the rental house can come just pick it up. Yeah. Instead of you having to like figure out how to get it there. And shit. Yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's just not ideal. Yeah. But that leads yeah. us nicely on, okay, can you read out the question that you got? Yeah, so I got a question the other day and it was basically talking about how... I'm just going to read the message so I don't butcher it, but is a solo shooter and I work with a few of my own clients and jump on bigger sets to come up. I'm stuck with using a couple of lights that I own because the clients I have don't have the biggest budgets, which makes it harder to rent out gear. Do you have any advice around this? Also, being a one-man band makes it a lot harder setting up all the gear and lighting, etc., but it's definitely affecting the quality of my work, and I can't be having that. Um, so, first thing I go to is you should charge as if you didn't own anything. So, as an example, if we were... Say, like, if we, we own gear right now, it's fine, but we price a project based on as if we had to rent everything. So if we had to rent the cameras, we had to rent the lighting, we had to pay the crew, just because I might be DOP or Jamie might be director or you might be a photographer, it doesn't mean that we don't price based on what it would be to hire someone else. Mm. So if we were to shoot an interview and we owned the lights, we would still price the project as if we had to rent them. And that way, we don't have to use our own lights. And that way, it also means that if one of us becomes ill, we can pay someone else to fill in that position fill because in. we've priced for it. Ah, okay. So clever. yeah, and and that's not like sleezing the client. That's actually the way it's supposed to be. And as an example, in your situation, from the person who contacted us, you should price your project to the client as if you did have to rent the lights. And then because you can provide some of that lighting, you absorb some of that cost as profit. Right. Does well, it also is paying off. So it's like, say my camera costs 5,000 pound. Well, you know, I'll include like the camera hire fee or a lot of people I know photographers do when they're charging the client because that's helping them pay towards that camera. It's like, it's a, it's a business cost. Say, whether you own the camera or not, you should still charge as if you're hiring that kit because it's going towards the money it costs you to buy that camera in the first place. Yeah. So it's got to pay itself off somehow. Yeah, but it's a really weird thing because when you're a freelancer, you can you kind of, if you own the camera, you think, well, I don't I own need the to camera charge them. Yeah. yeah. And also, you might want to charge more, but you go, oh, well, my camera's only worth this much. I can't charge more than that. It, it's all kind of relative, but really, just price the project as if you had to pay someone else. So if you're a video editor, you should price your project based on if you had to pay another video editor to edit the project. And then because you edit it, it means you get that money. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can do it for cheaper. Now, that's how you default to. So the default baseline is your prices if you've got to pay other people to do it or your prices if you've got to rent the gear. And then if the budget needs to come down a little bit, then that's where you can go, okay, well, I own some of this gear so I can lower the price a little bit for the client. But it doesn't mean you should. It just means that your default should be as if you've got to pay someone else to do it. I but, hope that makes sense, but, but yeah. that is the default. If anybody treats it differently than that, I'm just again, I'm going to be quite controversial. And also, say, like, like, you, you shouldn't be charging any more anyway because wear and tear... Like your gear's going through a lot and it's going to get weathered down and you're eventually going to need to buy another camera in a few years time. Yeah. And it's getting weathered down because you're on these shoots. So you're going to have to charge like a little more anyway on top of your invoice or like included in your invoice because, you know, ca our camera kit's expensive, man. Like I'm walking around with 10, 15 grand's worth of kit in my backpack. Yeah. It's not cheap. So, <laughs> you know, like you, you have to like earn that money back. Like, just as well as you're invoicing for your time, you also should be invoicing for like the wear and tear on your kit, 
how much it costs you in the first place, like all of these things, they are. Yeah, but, but also we're not saying itemize these out on an invoice. It's just no. take these things into consideration when you are pricing. Yeah. And one thing I like about this as well is that when you know these details, it makes it easier and more justified for you to be able to look at a client and say it costs this much. And if they want it less, it's easier for you to be like, well, you're insane. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you can't have it for less because it literally costs like x amount like yeah just because just because someone has a number that they want to spend doesn't mean that they can get it for that number it just means that basically the you know it's just an ideal point but i don't know yeah it just it just means that you can go back to them easier and have a bit more of a solid face and it's not like you're trying to rip them off it's just like it physically can't be done for any less than this yeah yeah interesting good points good tips yeah good tips so basically raise your price yeah raise your price <laughs> you need to charge more so you can hire the kit you want to hire yeah but that's also where some of the advantages come in. Now, if you own some of your gear, that means you can get ahead faster than other people that maybe don't own the gear because other people might have to charge more to make money because they also need to rent the gear. Whereas if you own some of the lighting or you own your own camera, you can technically not have to charge for that and you can just do your work for a lower price to get that project. Now, I'm not obviously... You don't want we to. We don't want to underpin yeah, 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 each well, other. Hold on. You, you don't want to lower. You don't want to be the person that lowers the price to win a project because then you become known as a cheap person. However, if well, that you first, also then affects wait, everyone else in the no, industry. No, no, yeah, no. It, that's bullshit. It's not. It's bullshit, no. mate. Whoever people who say that. If literally, everyone is undercharging, wait, wait, let me, it, it reduces wait, the entire no, 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 rate no, no, for everyone. No, wait, no, 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 no. Go on, let argue me, with we'll, me. We'll go on to that next, actually. But when you when you first starting out, that's the advantage that you have over other people is that. If you just own your camera, then you can be a cheaper videographer or a cheaper photographer than the other one who's charging more because you're not pricing for your gear because the other people might need to rent it, whereas you own yours. So even though you shouldn't lower your price because you should still charge as if you're renting it, you can lower the price if needed. And it also makes you look good to your clients because you go, like as an example, like what we do when we price projects is we also factor in that it's potentially going to run over the deadline. Mm. And then when it does that, we go, don't worry, it's okay. We can go for another few days. Now, what you just went into, it's it's yeah. true. Like if you if you if everyone undercharges, then it sets lowers the standard for everyone else in the industry. So then everyone else gets hit with that. Argue with me. I'll argue with you. Well, other people need to have the standards as well, and they have, to, and that only works if it's a blanket industry thing, right? What do you mean? So if everybody, everybody in the industry who and they don't have any standards for a minimum level of engagement, then of course the entire industry will go down because people can just go somewhere else. However, what we've been talking about with creativity is that you don't want to be, you don't want to lower the price based on the work. People pay you based on projects and value. And if they're paying based on projects and value, then if everyone in the, else in the industry is charging 250 quid for a day rate and you go, well, I'm 1500 and the client goes, well, we can just pay someone 250 quid, then you can go, well, go pay them 250 quid then. But they're not me. You're not, you're not going to get the same thought process and the no, same creativity. No, but what I'm saying is like, say if a lot of like really good standard level photographers are all putting their prices down to compete with each other. Yeah, but they shouldn't. If they're good and they're pros, then they shouldn't do it. Uh, yeah. This is what I mean. You need... Anybody who's good at what they do should have a minimum level of engagement. And if you have a minimum level of engagement, it means that you don't do a project for less than a certain price. So if someone goes, we want to lower... Can you lower your price? That mixed with that you should never lower your price to win a project, those two things together make it so that it'll never be a blanket thing. And for the people who do charge really cheap at the beginning of the career, 
inevitably when you become more experienced, you raise your price higher than everybody else anyway. Like me and you were charging nothing when we first started and now we charge a decent amount. Yeah, and it's I like, well, well, yeah, maybe I unbalanced the scales a little bit at the beginning, but I'm definitely making up for it now. Yeah, right. fair. Fair. I hear your point. <laughs> I hear your point. Ah, that was good. Cool. Yeah. All right. Do hold you on, wish- hold on. So, do you have anything to say about this thing with the renting gear and stuff? Not really. I think it's pretty straightforward. I think, like you said, like you hit the nail on the head. If you if you want better gear or you feel like you need better gear, then at the end of the day, you just need to be charging more to your client. If, you ch- if your client's not willing to pay more, then that's on them and you need to explain to them, well, that then affects the output of what you guys are getting. Yeah. We're, we've had... Or it's not going to be as close to the references that you guys need. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If well, you want it to look like this, I need this kit. Yeah. Hard fact. Hard fact. And if you're not going to give me the budget to cover that kit, it's not going to look like that. Hard fact. So yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely been a few projects recently with us where people have said, like, we've worked out the cost and everything, and in order for us to make money on like a normal rate, then it needed to be X amount, and they would say, we don't understand why it's so expensive, and it's like, well, it's that we're because, not doing it for cost. Yeah, yeah, we're not doing it. Well, no, but on this, even because we worked out the cost already, I can't remember. Let me get the message up. Okay, so I'll just read the end of it. But I said. We would love to work on this project with you, but we also need to keep our processes to guarantee the quality and reducing any aspects further will put the variables below our workflow for minimum level of engagement. So basically, the reason why it costs a certain amount is because the way we work costs a certain threshold. Mm. But the and if way- if you want the way we work and you want to hire us, yeah, that's a certain- Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and that, that's all it has to be. It doesn't have to be- just because you can get it for cheaper doesn't mean that that's the way we work. Like, you have a certain standard for yourself where, yes, I could shoot it with one person in a one-man band, similar to what the guy said, but if we do it for a one-man band, it means that my back's going to be hurt in the next day just because you wanted to cheap out. And at the end of the day, the client gets the same deliverable, but they've just made your job harder because they wanted to save money. Mm. And so you almost need to have a thing of, I'm sorry, but if you reduce it any further, it means that we're going to have to reduce crew. And if we reduce if we reduce crew, then it just makes everyone's job harder on set. Yeah. Like I remember when I did that a few years ago, where it was a four day shoot. I needed it was just me, and I needed an assistant with me to help me carry gear because they wanted to save money. I got rid of the assistant, and may I had the worst four days of my life dragging that gear around and setting it all up. Yeah. And it was just like what the fuck. And that was the day that I learned. Not you learned. You yeah. learned the hard way. So yeah, like it, you, you just you just put it down to if you want to reduce it any further, then it will just ruin the quality of the final deliverables, and we will be able to action our process of like if someone said, "Oh, can we get rid of the sound mix?" and it's like we sound mix every project, it's not and it, that like getting rid of that reduces the quality of it so much. Yeah, like yeah. and and it's it's okay for clients to ask for stuff like that. It's just because they aren't aware. Mm. But you need to have uh, what what's like boundaries, I guess. Yeah, of like. We aren't putting out that shit. Yeah, and that's <laughs> if important. that's what you want yeah, it to yeah, look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, fair. interesting. I, a, a friend of mine who's at a brand said to me recently because I'm doing a shoot with them and I'm enjoying working with them a lot at the moment. He was like, "I can tell if it's been a good shoot if you post it." <laughs> that's what he said to me. He was like, yeah. "I can tell it's like something you're proud of and it's to your standard if you share it." Yeah, even if it's on your story, because he's right. Like. If it's not to the level that I would want to create it, I probably wouldn't share it. Yeah. And that's so true. I was like, fuck, like, it's cool that a brand's thinking about it like that, though. He's like, I want it to be 
to a level and so good that you're excited to share it as well as me. Yeah. And I was like, it's nice to hear a client say that, but then like, allow me the tools to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. Good info. Good info. I hope so. I hope good that helps someone out there. Okay. Well, I think we should wrap the episode there. A little bit of a shorter one, but a really good one. So if you made it this far, thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from camera. Yep. Goodbye.